Our scripture reading for today is John 4, 7 through 26. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Lila. It's such a joy to be here with you guys. Uh, thanks for welcoming me. This, this is a really blessed community in so many ways. Um, even just the connections that I've had with people this morning. And there's a mark for me. My kids were excited to go to Sunday school. So there must be something special going on here. Uh, <laughs> they're like, we want to go. I'm like, I can never get them, especially when we visit a new place. Uh, so they, I, I just am grateful. Thanks for welcoming me. Uh, it's wonderful to worship with you guys this morning. Uh, so like uh, Pastor Dave said, my name's Troy Tistammer. Um, and my wife and I are on staff with InterVarsity here. We've been doing this work with college students for probably five years as a student and about 15 years um, full-time. Um, it is longer than I expected, and it has been good. Um, it's been really fun. Um, we up here, I'll have a map for you guys um, of our, our area um, that that here in the city. And we are at a number of campuses. There's about 10 student Bible studies that happen here throughout the city. Um, and it's, I, I've just loved the college context um, that we've gotten to work in. Um, and one of the things that I've, I love most about our job, um, our job really is equipping and training students to, to do God's mission on campus. Um, so it's such a joy to see them as they start to realize, like, God has sent me here to learn and to do my classes and to do this thing, but he's also sent me here for the sake of my classmates and my professors and this whole university. Um, and that's a shift that for me, when I started to discover, I was like, oh, that's exciting. 
um, that God could be at work in this place um, and, and in the places that we're already at. Um, it's a beautiful thing. Um, it's really fun. I love the college and the city context because it's a place of openness for conversations about things that really matter. Um, I feel like people are willing to engage conversations about deep values uh, just as, as part of the place of being an exchange of ideas um, in different communities and cultures coming together. Uh, but it can also be really overwhelming. I think Dave, the last couple weeks, has been talking about the abundance of information and data. Um, and as we think about truth, how do we navigate through that? So the, on the one hand, uh, we need expert guides that can give us narratives that help us to understand and see um, what's really going on. And on the other hand, we don't trust any of those guides because it's a power play, um, that maybe they just have a meta-narrative that they're trying to force on people to, to make them do a certain kind of thing. Uh, so I understand that tension. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's just a hard world, and it's a hard context for us to make meaning and understand with a sense of, of wisdom and confidence that what, what we're here to be and to do. And even more so as students, as they navigate a really challenging time, um, as, as they navigate a really, they're, they're asking questions about who they are, what they're meant to be the, in the world, and why any of that matters. Um, it reminds me, uh, so I studied engineering as an undergrad, and as part of that engineering program, I went and worked in Japan for about six months. Um, I only studied Japanese for about six months before I went there in a really intensive program. And so I show up, and I remember flying in, and this is a couple pictures, my apartment and the view from my apartment, and the, the, the train station where literally millions of people would pass by if you sat there and watched. Millions. It's hard for me to comprehend still. Um, but I remember I landed, got into this car with my new boss, the, the president of the company. He drove me through the city that looked completely unlike what I had expected. Um, and then uh, gave, walked me through a couple of blocks around the place that I was going to be living. He's like, there's a grocery store. Here's this. Here's where the building is where you got to show up on, on, on tomorrow to start work. And, um, and then here's your apartment. And then I, I remember sitting there in my apartment and just kind of a sense of shock of like, I don't know what to do next. <laughs> um, and it was like, I think I need food. And I couldn't find the store. So <laughs> I, I went downstairs, I started looking around, and I ended up going to this, the, the equivalent of the dollar store, um, the Hyakin. Um, and there was about five aisles, and I spent an hour in this store walking up and down all of the aisles because I didn't recognize almost anything other than bananas and ramen. Um, and I remember walking out of the store with a package of udon noodles and some kind of sauce with a green label. And I still don't know what it was, but I ate it for a week. Because I, I was just overwhelmed. I couldn't read most of the kanji, so I'd, I could walk up to strangers and say, what does this say? And if they told me, I could understand, but that was weird. Uh, so I didn't do that as much. Um, and I just remember, uh, and then I get back to my apartment, and I can't translate, it's pre-Google Translate, I can't translate my air conditioner. And it's hot and humid, and I'm pretty sure to this day that I sat there in that apartment with the heater on um, all summer, just sweating, <laughs> I'm eating my udon noodles <laughs> with green sauce. Um, and at the end, it didn't take long. It took a couple days of that week when I was just like, this is not worth it. I want to go home. Um, I want to quit. Um, I really needed a guide. Um, I needed somebody to help me navigate, to figure out what the green bottle was and what to eat and how to make my way through. 
And I don't know if you've ever been in a season when you felt like you needed a guide. Maybe it was moving to the city or starting a new job. Uh, Maybe it was navigating the kind of ups and downs, the emotional and physical turmoil and trauma of COVID. Um, Whatever that season was, um, it can be really disorienting. It can be frustrating. You can feel like you don't have the language to communicate um, what's going on in the world around you or even the, the sometimes the literal language to communicate in a new place. Uh, that you don't, you don't know where to start. You might just want to quit. And you might feel kind of stupid engaging this kind of new thing where you're like, boy, I felt the whole time I was there like I was a four-year-old. Um, language equivalent. Um, it was hard to engage. And it's one thing when we experience that in a temporary thing, in a temporary season of life. It's another thing when we experience that on a spiritual level. Uh, and I think we can experience that as followers of Jesus, but it also can be really disorienting for our friends as they're investigating Jesus, that we need spiritual guides. So this morning, um, I, oh, Dave, Dave, too, has been mentioning, I, I listened to the last couple sermons, and I really appreciated what you guys have been talking about. You've been talking about truth, that truth isn't something that we just, it's not propositional, but that truth is a person, that we need something to hold on to. Um, we need Jesus to hold on to um, so that he can be our spiritual guide through these things. So today, I want to look at a passage that's probably, if you've been around the church, you've probably heard this passage a few times. Um, but I want to look at it today with a couple of, of lenses. One looking at how Jesus is the ultimate guide for us. Um, and then the second of how he invites us to be, to be hospitable and, and kind spiritual guides to those around us. Um, and I appreciate that because evangelism, sometimes when I hear that word, we think of all the baggage of like, oh, that sounds terrible. Um, but when we think about being spiritual guides to our friends and walking alongside them in their journeys to and with Jesus, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I know it's probably just me, but that's exciting. Um, That's fun. I enjoy that idea. Um, So within our varsity, uh, we had a, 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 there was a, uh, a long time ago at this point. I'm getting old, I guess. Uh, But uh, we had this time where a whole bunch of people had come to faith. And a few people interviewed them and started to realize that there was these kind of stages and thresholds that a lot of these people, even though they came from really different spots, crossed through. Um, So as we go through our passage in John 4 today, um, I want to highlight some of these thresholds and how Jesus helps this woman cross, cross them and how we can help our friends and walk with them through each of these stages. Um, so these five thresholds that we saw, a num- we, we see that a lot of people go through in their journeys to Jesus is one, from distrust to trust. Um, learning to just trust a Christian, um, to be in relationship with a Christian. The second is from complacency to curiosity, where they're like, yeah, that's your thing, that's your thing. And then they start asking questions of like, but why this, and what do you think about this? And then finally closed to change in their life, to open to change. So something in their life, they they go, actually, there might be something that this has to offer me and that I might want to get, or I'm willing to, to look at. And then maybe seeking is this next stage where instead of just a general spiritual curiosity where people are looking, they're saying, no, actually, I want to look at Jesus. There's something about Jesus, and I want to see what he has to say. Um, And then choosing to follow Jesus. Um, So we'll use this frame as we look at our passage today. Um, Short context on John 4. Jesus Jesus has been creating a stir. Um, His ministry has been growing fast enough and large enough 
but it's gotten the attention of the religious leaders. He has a conversation in John 3 with a guy named Nicodemus. It's kind of parallel to this passage a little bit. Um, But Jesus has been teaching in Judea, and now he has to head back up to Galilee, which is in the north. And in between is Samaria. So verse 4, a little bit before I had, um, before our reading started, I was Jesus, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Um, And I, as small as that word is, the had, I think it's worth sitting on for a moment. Because the truth is no Jew had to go through Samaria. Most of them would walk around because they didn't want to go through Samaria because Samaritans were people they didn't like. Um, Samaritans were unclean. If you ate, if you had stuff from them, um, if you touched them, their water jars were even unclean. So you didn't want, as a Jew, to be be made ceremonially unclean um, by interacting with Samaritans. But beyond just the ceremonial uncleanness, uh, Jews and uh, the Samaritans were kind of like distant theological cousins. And you know the people that are most similar to you are sometimes the people you fight with the most. Um, They had been feuding for centuries. And even though they shared some common ground, they both accepted the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They had spent years fighting each other and even desecrating each other's holy places. Um, The Samaritans had spread bones in the the temple at night and snuck in. And then the Jews had wiped out the high places in Samaria. Um, So they... They don't really love each other very much. Uh, So that's why when Jesus asks her for a drink, and he says, give me a drink, she points it out right away. She's like, you're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Um, She's aware of this. Everybody's aware of this. And as I look at this conversation, I think Jesus is off to a really awkward start. Um. It's a weird way to start a conversation, right? Give me a drink. And, and she's like, we shouldn't be talking. There's cultural and religious tension where she's like, hey, our people don't get along. And actually, we fought about our beliefs. What are you doing even talking to me? And then secondly, um, the one that we sometimes miss is there actually might be a little bit of sexual tension in this conversation um, as they think about this. So it, it's not really okay for Jesus to talk to a strange woman alone in public, in this culture. Um, that, that's not something that happens. And even more than that, any Jew that would hear this story would be thinking about how Isaac and Jacob and Moses all met their wives at wells. And then Jesus is here talking to this woman at a well. Um, and both of them, th- they, I was looking at some archaeological or some, some uh, old documents, and, and it, they even kind of talked about these meeting at wells of like, do you want some water type thing? Might be almost like a pickup line. Um, <laughs> so th- there's something, th- th- there's tension here. This is really awkward. And I think about our context. Um, and just like there, there's a lot of distrust between them. We have a lot of trust building to do in our context, don't we? Um, as we think about San Francisco, people have been hurt by the church. Um, And I appreciate this because Jesus models engaging across the most awkward, painful, and culturally fraught lines of his day. And he does it. And I think, as I think about having spiritual conversations here in San Francisco, sometimes it can feel this awkward. um, Where you're like, oh my goodness. As soon as I say anything, they're going to be like, you're a Jew and I'm a, you're a Christian. And that's not, um, like, we're aware of the differences here. And I think the first lesson, and maybe if this is the only thing you hear today, 
this is fine, that Jesus models that awkward is okay. It's actually okay to have the awkward conversation and to just go for it. Uh, awkward is okay. Um, I, and I appreciate why Jesus has the awkward conversation. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to geographically. It might have been a faster route, but he had to go because he knew it wasn't okay to leave a barrier between him and a people that his father loved. Um, he needed to cross that barrier. Um, and it didn't matter if there was racial or ethnic or gender lines to cross. Jesus wanted her and her people to know that they were loved by God. So he did the really hard work of showing up. Um, incarnation, coming in the flesh, showing up is incredibly powerful. Through Jesus, truth comes near to these people. And when Jesus showed up that way, he brought the very presence of God with him. When he showed up at the well, God's presence went with him. He didn't show up with a, with a and even, even though he brought the power of God with him and the presence of God, he didn't show up with a sense of superiority and authority and, um, you know, he didn't put on airs, right? But he showed up thirsty. I think that's really powerful that Jesus is willing to show up human in this situation. That he shows up as somebody, in part because of his humility and saying like, you know what, I'm thirsty, I'm human, I'm here. Um, he showed up as someone who was safe. Um, and that's really powerful in this context too. Can we be people that are safe people um, to talk with about meaningful things? And I think if we hope to be good spiritual guides to our friends and our community, we, we need to bring, we need to show up with our humanity and our humility um, to be safe people. And we also need to recognize that wherever you go as a follower of Jesus, you bring the spirit of God and the kingdom of God with you. You bring it near to people. So as you go to Starbucks, you can kick in the door and say, I've brought the kingdom of God near to you. Maybe don't do that. That's not the safe part. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think... We get to see this on campus. So a couple weeks ago, um, I've been showing up and, and helping lead. I, actually, a couple of students have joined us uh, from City College, so thanks for coming along. Uh, but I, I help lead a Bible study there. Generally, I, my hope is to raise up students, and they're going to lead it. For right now, I've been helping out and showing up and leading some Bible studies at City College, um, which is most of the time really fun. And then every once in a while, I show up, and everybody that was supposed to come to one of these Bible studies, they don't show up. So I was sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the cafe, and I'm like, Jesus, what is it you want me to do here today um, when nobody showed up? I, I ended up talking with, with this uh, girl that I'd met last year and having a really cool connection. But as we sat down, um, we sit down, and I'd spread out some snacks on the table, and I was just kind of praying. And then right then, this girl um, in the room that is dressed like a goth, full makeup, uh, pretty distinctive, she comes right up to us um, and just says, hey, uh, I've seen you guys here the last couple of weeks. Uh, are, are you guys, what are you guys, what are you guys? Um, and I was like, well, we're a Christian group, but we're trying to make a place on campus for people to grow in their faith or investigate if they don't have one. She goes, oh, well, I thought you guys were a Bible study. And I have a lot of questions. <laughs> and she just stood there. She just stood there asking us questions for about 15 minutes. And then she sat down and studied a passage from the Bible with us, asked a bunch more questions, and then we shared the gospel with her. Um, and, and it was awkward. It was strange. Um, but w and, and what was really powerful, she stood there. She was like, I, I asked her the question of like, what, what, 
kind of spiritual background are you from? And she was like, well, sort of Buddhist, and I've had some Christian engagement, but like, I'm LGBTQ, and I had a hard time because people did this to me, and she just starts sharing her whole story. Um, and it was so powerful to me of how that conversation happened. It was just because we were there. It's because we were willing to show up and just be there with, with people, and she watched us. And something about the ways that we showed up, maybe it's that we had cookies, I don't know. Um, but something about the way we showed up that we were a safe enough people to trust with her story and her questions. Um, and and I'm, it, it's, it's a joy to see it when that happens. Like, if we are willing to show up as Christians, um, people, will, people will bring their questions. A few ways that we can show up, um, some practical ways, so it's not just an idea, it's like, one is we need to see the context that we show up in, whether it's our workplace, our campus, um, the parks we go to. We need to see those places with God's perspective. Jesus had a sense of destiny that he knew he had to go to Samaria for a reason. Um, and it's truthfully, it's, it's hard to expect that God is at work in a place or to cross barriers unless we've really heard from Jesus. That, that he's at work there and we need to do something there. If he started to share his sense of love or compassion for a place or a people. Because to be honest, it's a little awkward for a 37-year-old to go hang out on campus trying to hang out with freshmen. <laughs> and I would not do that unless the Lord told me to. <laughs> um, I'm only willing to do that and to lead students to, to share their faith on campus because I spent days and months praying for the campus and hearing from the Lord what he wanted to do there. Um, and I wonder about some of the places that you show up in in the midst of your life. Are you hearing from the Lord how he sees those places and those people? Because that will cause you to show up in those places in a different way. Um, I encourage my students to like, when you come into a class, ask the Lord, Jesus, what are you going to do in this class today? And just short prayer as you step into the room. Uh, because God might change your perspective um, in the places where you're at. The second is be willing to be identified as a Christian there. And that can feel pretty risky in some of the places that we show up. Um, I, I'm talking again with some of our leaders at USF over the last couple of years. They're like, it's, it's kind of hard to let people know I'm a Christian here. Um, I would like to just be nice to them, but I don't really want to be out that, like, out that I am a person of faith um, because of the baggage that that holds. And my, my, my response to them is like, you know, uh, like, what are some of the things that people say? And they're like, well, Christians are intolerant. I'm like, well, you know, if you showed up and they were like, man, Christians are so intolerant. And then they knew you were a Christian. They might go, oh, but Sabrina's not intolerant. Or like, oh, Christians are just so stupid, but Dave's not stupid. Like, it's, it's a way we can be the counterexample in demonstrating, um, like, who Jesus is by being willing to be seen as a follower of Jesus and trying to walk that in humility. I think it, one of the other things we can do is understand, we need to listen well and understand well. Um, where does the distrust come from? It didn't come from nowhere. Um, where are the places that there's been hurt or brokenness? We can listen well. There was a time I was taking a day off, um, and I was walking around a campus and doing some photography once. And I stepped through the doors, and these doors, you know, kind of open. And the second I stepped through these doors on this campus that we live next to, 
um, I heard from down the hall. They couldn't see me yet, but I heard from down the hall this guy go, I just can't believe it. Christians are so stupid. They're so judgmental. They don't even really care about us. Like that, and then they kind of kept going on um, about how he, he just had an interaction with some Christians that didn't even ask his name and were just kind of like saying stuff at him. And I, and I stood there in the door with the doors kind of closing and opening behind me. <laughs> and was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> like, I know that you put me here today, and I don't know what to do about this. Um, I mean, what would you have done? Most of us are probably going to, yep, I'm <laughs> like, but I was like, I don't know what to say, so uh, awkward is okay. I walked in, and I was like, so interesting conversation you're having, and sat down and started asking some questions, um, because why not? And what was so interesting to me is, is I didn't actually say much of anything or tell them much of anything about myself. I just asked them questions, and I was like, do you guys have any spiritual backgrounds? Or like, what do you guys, how did you guys experience this situation? Or like, why do you think they did that? And as, as we had a conversation, I listened to them, um, we actually started talking about really meaningful things. And this group of like four or five people that were sitting there all started sharing about their spiritual lives and backgrounds and what they were thinking. And they finally go, what about you? What do you think about all this? Um, and I was able to share a little bit with them. And the guy who was most angry and like ranting down the hall by the time I left was like, you know what? This was pretty cool. And I was like, if you guys ever want to get together to like look at Jesus's life for yourself, um, I'd love to do that. And he's like, you know what? That might be something I want to check out. And as I walked out of the place that day, I was like, Jesus, first of all, <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think I could do that again. But I realized that God had put me there that day to just take one step from distrust to trust um, with those people, to open a new avenue of faith for them. So that first barrier, I think I spent a lot of, I wanted to spend a lot of time on that one because from trust or distrust to trust, uh, because it's hard um, and it takes some time. The second is moving from indifference to curiosity. So Jesus does this with the woman, and he starts to have a conversation with her. Um, and she starts to ask some questions. He, he doesn't leave it at drawing out trust. He, he starts to draw out her curiosity. And he uses this parable of living water, um, which could be literally like a stream, um, like living, moving water, but it also is kind of a, a play on words that's like the water of life. Um, so Jesus is kind of saying both of those at once. Um, and he does that to get her to consider himself a little bit more. He starts with her immediate need. Uh, he makes some really bold claims. Um, that's a pretty bold claim to show up and say, hey, I could give you like the waters of life. Um, you should have asked me for that. Um, and, and as he engages this woman, it sparks several questions for her. Basically, she goes, how are you going to deliver on this promise? Thinking about the literal water. You don't even have the right, you don't even have a bucket. Um, and then the kind of second one is, who do you think you are? Are you better than our father Jacob? Like our common ancestor? Uh, our common patriarch? Like who do you think you are? And I think he starts with her immediate need, but he connects it to this deeper spiritual need. Jesus didn't have to use like magic powers to see that this woman had needs in her life. She was out gathering water alone in the heat of the day, uh, probably avoiding the times when the other women in this well would be busy. Uh, she probably was an outcast. Jesus could see that she was alone. Uh, so he knows 
without using any of his godness um, to, to see it that this woman has needs. He could see that she was on the outside of her community. And I think it's similar when we show up in, in spaces um, and when we show up and live our lives with Jesus openly, it starts to spark questions. People start to wonder why we would spend Tuesday mornings making pancakes in the park. Um, or they might start to ask us all sorts of random questions. That, that woman that approached us at City College, some of the questions she asked me during that hour and a half she was with us is, is Jesus God or is he something else? Did he stay in the ground for three days because of the Trinity or something? Um, and like, why do you pray? Uh, and we just kind of, it was rapid fire questions. Uh, there was all sorts of things kind of coming out. And one question that's been helpful to navigate through that, because sometimes when people come to a stage of curiosity, they ask a lot of questions, and most of them don't even matter to them. They just ask questions. Why do you do that? Uh, so it's trying to discern what are, the, what, what, are the real, what are the questions that actually mean something to this person. Um, so I'll ask, like, well, what is your spiritual background? What's that mean to you now? Um, in this stage, when we're moving from... Um, indifference to curiosity, I think one of, the tr one of the traps we need to avoid is what I call the St. Francis trap. Maybe you guys have heard this quote, preach the gospel always, use words when necessary. And I love that quote, but I, I think it's funny because it's attributed to St. Francis, and St. Francis, when he couldn't find people to preach to, he literally walked around preaching to birds. Like, <laughs> so if we use it as an excuse of just living a, a lifestyle, St. Francis was like, uh, he was the guy walking through the park preaching to the trees. Uh, that's who St. Francis was. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes through hearing and not just seeing. Um, and I think if we don't interpret it, if we don't interpret the way we live our lives for our friends, I mean, it actually produces really spiritually frustrated friends. Because uh, they're like, I know, they, they might know that you're Christian, they might know that you have something going on in your life, and they're like, but I don't understand it, um, and they give up on it. They can lack language to interpret the ways that we're living. And they might be interested, but not know what's going on internally in our lives. To be good guides, we need both word and action. Um, I mean, we know that, right? Like, if it's, all, if it's all word with no action, people get tired of our big claims because they don't make any difference in the world. Um, it sets us up to be hypocrites. And if it's all action uh, with no, no words to interpret it, people just put you in a box. They're like, oh, well, yeah, he's a little strange. He's just that way. Oh, he's a really nice guy. And that's, that's how they write off faith, right? Um, they don't have anything more. So as we have these conversations, hard questions do come up. And I know that's one of the things when people think about, do I really want to have hard spiritual conversations? What if they ask me hard questions? Um, and I had a, I, there's a professor, a friend of mine that's like, you don't drop out of school when you miss one question. Why would you do that with your faith? I'm like, fair enough. <laughs> um, but this can be scary. Um, but it's okay not to have an answer to everything. Jesus actually doesn't even answer most of her questions, um, at least directly. And tough questions, I think, for us are a chance to build trust um, and to build relationship with people, not just get the right answer. Because uh, sometimes if somebody, if somebody comes up and asks you, why is there so much suffering in the world? And you're like, I prepared for this one. I've read seven books, and I am going to philosophically nail this. Um, that actually might be, that might be the right answer to go, depending on who's asking and why. 
But I always ask first, when they ask, why is there suffering in the world? My question back is, why do you ask? Because most of the time, people aren't asking that from a philosophical point of view. It's because they're suffering. They've hurt, and they need to know that Jesus sees that. That's a really different answer. Um, That's a really different way of engaging. And actually, I personally love it when I don't know the answer to somebody's question, uh, because then it gives me a chance to show some humility and be like, you know what, I actually don't have all the answers as a Christian. And the second is it gives me a great follow-up where I'm like, I don't know. That's a really good question. Do you want to get lunch next week and look at a passage from the Bible about that question? Um, And I can't tell you how many Bible studies I've gotten to start that way, especially with my my seeker or non-Christian friends that are like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Um, it's, It's a lot of fun when you get to have a further conversation. And getting asked the hard questions is going to help you grow in your faith. That's why I started to love evangelism, because I got to see Jesus show up whenever I did it, uh, and grew a lot. I also want to say that you don't know everything, but you do know something. There's a reason you follow Jesus. Share that with your friends. Um, Invite them to check him out. We were doing an outreach one time on campus. And most of the time, people people, uh, engage in really, really good conversations with us. Uh, But this one time, this guy, we set up in several places around campus, and every day he would come find us to argue with us. And and I'm like, man, all the students at first were like, man, this guy, he's he's like so far from Jesus. I'm like, I don't really know about that. Like, he's put in the effort to find us every day. (laughs) I'm like, and he stands out here for like an hour to argue with us. And so every day he'd come, and he would just kind of like attack. Um, But... What happened this one day is one of the women that was out there with us, um, she kind of stepped up and she started sharing her story really in a really vulnerable way. And she shared she about how like she had been sexually assaulted and, how, and she shared a little bit about how the process of how Jesus had helped her to forgive and heal. And as she shared some of her story, this guy that had been so angry and so attacking just got quieter and quieter. And when she finished, um, he, he looked at her, and he, he, he said, he's like, I want to hear more about that Jesus. He's healed you? Um, and it was such a stark turnaround. I'm like, we had a lot of answers for him, but it didn't matter until it mattered, until somebody shared something from their life um, about how Jesus had really done something for them. So you don't know everything, but you do know something. Uh, share that. Start there. People are yearning for a Jesus that steps into their pain. People are yearning for a Jesus that heals. Uh, People are yearning, and and they're thirsty for the water that Jesus offers. I think one major pitfall that we can do when we're talking about hard questions is we might actually forget to talk about Jesus. Um, We can debate the Crusades for seven hours, and most of the time we're like, I don't know why that didn't feel productive. (laughs) Um, But but like what Jesus does, he takes all of her questions and points them back to himself because he is the truth. He's the one that we want to point to. He's the one that we want to talk about. We also see people move um, from a place of being open or closed to change to open to change. Um, when it, It's not just random questions, but there's something, a thirst in their life. Jesus saw her her need and then offered something that tapped into a deep spot in this woman's life. 
he met this woman in the midst of her choice, and she had either been divorced or widowed some combination of five times. And that, that is a painful truth. Either way, as a woman in this culture, she probably didn't have the, the agency to be the divorcing one, that people had rejected her, um, or uh, she had lost. So either way, she's gone through a lot of pain. Um, and everyone in this community would go, there is something wrong with her. If five husbands died, she's like the church of God, stay away from that woman. Um, so th- she, she had been objectified and excluded from her community. She'd been devalued and powerless as a person. And where she had once had hope for love and connection and meaning, now she just wanted to avoid sideways glances, condescending remarks, and the pain of living in this community. But there was something in her that thirsted for more. And I think just like our physical thirst points to water, our deeper spiritual thirst points to this world and this way of being that either was or will be that we believe as Christians was and will be. We are all thirsty for more. And I wonder, what about you? As we personalize this too, what are you thirsty for in your life with God? Because I think all of us as humans long to be seen, to have a sense of purpose, to be loved, to be known, to belong. And these deep longings are planted in our hearts so that they c- and then they can really only be satisfied fully in Jesus. She knew that she was designed for love, community, security, and relationship. And I think if we're willing to actually listen and ask people, people know their needs and they will make them known to us if we are people that are safe and that can listen well. We might get a prompting from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks and says, this is what's going on in that person's life. But most of the time, I found the easiest way to tell what is going on in someone's life is to listen to them. Um, I don't need, need the magic powers all the time. Um, I can just listen well to people. And I think this is, I, I, this is really meaningful when I think about evangelistic conversations because sometimes we come in, we try to create a need and then satisfy it with Jesus. And they're like, that's, that's a good answer, but I wasn't asking that question. Um, just start with the real needs people feel and then point to Jesus about how Jesus fulfills that thing. Um, there was this, this student one time. Um, I, so we, we were, I was a dorm Bible study that I was getting to help host and lead. And we, so we met this student. His name was Zephyrin. We hung out with him in the dorms. We built some relationship with him. Um, he watched everything we did. We served him as a Bible study. We hosted fun events. We built community. And eventually, he came to one of our Bible studies. And he was the most faithful Bible study member I have ever had. I learned later it was because he was writing a paper on Christian subculture. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but there was for him a really a meaningful sense of curiosity that he had questions. So every week after Bible study, he would, like, he would spend an hour or sometimes a half hour to an hour after Bible study to just ask us question after question after question. And I kind of felt good about it because I was like, I was nailing him. He'd be like, what about this? I'm like, oh, yeah, boom, got that, got that. And, but I realized it never went anywhere with him. Um, and this one day he comes up to me or after Bible study, he, he finally asked me, he's like, can God create a rock bigger than he can lift if he can do anything? And I was like, I was starting to think about my philosophical answer, and then I was like, you know what, Zephyrin, that's a really stupid question. (laughs) And I was like, because if God exists, 
the God of the universe that created everything, if he exists and he wants relationship with you, are you going to let that question stop you from, like, knowing him? And he goes, yeah, I guess you're right. And it didn't really get through because then he just kept going, <laughs> asking more questions. But, but the, t- the moment came when he became open to change when he was after a Bible study one time telling me about how he had gotten in a fight with his dorm floor. Some of the people across the hall had like reported him for something and he got in trouble with the RA. And then he continued on to tell me about his plan for revenge. Yes. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, this is a moment. Z- Zephyrin, you've been studying the Bible with me for a good long time now. You could do revenge or why don't you try what Jesus would tell you to do? What do you think Jesus? So we went through it and, and Zephyrin went with humility and apologized and started like uh, some really meaningful conversations with his RA and with his, his um, other floor mates. And it was amazing because all of a sudden where Zephyrin was a little bit of an outcast, all of a sudden he was the center of the social group because he had put Jesus's words into action. There was a moment for him when he saw the power of Jesus's words um, because he tried it out. So we move from open or closed to change to openness to change and then also meandering to seeking. And this is where it gets a little bit more serious. People, people have a sense of, of immediacy um, and drive in their seeking for spiritual answers. Jesus pushes the conversation to a personal and vulnerable space for this woman. And she, she gets a little bit more focused here. Because they weren't just having a general spiritual conversation anymore. She was trying to figure out who Jesus was and what that meant for her people. In many ways, her questions are getting at the question of like, are you just here as a cultural imperialist? Are you just here to tell me that my people and my family and my history and my way of engaging with God are like wrong and bad? Jesus' response is powerful. Because he tells the truth. He does say, hey, you know what? God has revealed himself uniquely to the Jewish people and he has made himself known to them. He's like, there is something that we have as Jews. But he doesn't stop with the simple claim that his meta-narrative, his way of understanding the world is better than hers. And he doesn't lean on his power as a man to force her um, to try to believe these things. He honors her by taking seriously her questions and engaging in theological discussion. He honors her questions. He honors her as a person. He honors her as a Samaritan woman. And then he opens the door for her to engage as an equal. He tells her, roughly, you're the kind of person that God wants relationship with. And then he hints, because I'm here, things are different. The Messiah God's savior, deliverer, teacher, and king has come. And he tells her, I am the one that you've been looking for. I'm the one that can give you the water of eternal life. I'm looking for, God is looking for worshipers in spirit and in truth. It's not my mountain and your mountain. There's something more. There's a new thing God is doing. I think we can guide our friends well in this stage by helping them to see what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. They might want to study the life of Jesus with you. Uh, They might want to come to church and pray with you because they're they're trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, And sometimes I think this 
some of those people in other spaces, the people that we're building trust with, they're, not, they're probably not going to show up in this space, right? But at, at when they come to a place of seeking, they're hungry and they're looking for answers. They want to show up to spaces like this. And, and, our f- and I think there might be ways for, for you all to do that. There's some wonderful opportunities to invite. In January, I know you guys go through the story of Scripture. Uh, what better way to get a big picture of how God has been at work and how I- and hear the story of God in a way that makes sense of our lives? It's really powerful. That's a really cool opportunity. <coughs> and when people are in this stage, they need to experience um, the Jesus that is Messiah that has come to open the door for them. They need to answer the question of what it means to be a Christian, what's the good news of Jesus, and why is he the only way that can lead to life? and forgiveness. Um, the story continues on, and we see that this woman goes away and pulls, brings back her entire town. In what was a 10-minute conversation, her life is transformed. He offers her a new identity and purpose and redeems her story. She leaves behind her old water jar. She rushes to her town a- and rushes to the town full of people she was intentionally avoiding to bring them back. And what I, what I appreciate about her um, is her, there was this, whatever happened with Jesus, what we see in this happened, it gave her a new sense of hope. Jesus helped to guide her to the truth that he was the way, the truth, and the life. But she knew a couple of things off of that conversation um, that I think we should remember too, is that we don't have to have all the answers to have a story worth sharing. Her whole story to her town was two sentences. One of them was a question. I met a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Um, she wasn't worried that her story wasn't finished. It was okay for her to be in process and to bring people to engage Jesus alongside her. And the second is that her story wasn't about her. It was about Jesus. She wasn't worried about the messiness of her story. She knew the whole town already knew that mess. Probably our friends know our mess too. <laughs> it's not as hidden as we might think. Um, people know. People know. She didn't try to clean it up because her story wasn't how gr- about how great she was, but about how great Jesus was. <coughs> so our friends, <coughs> excuse me, um, she was one step ahead of her friends, and that was okay. We don't have to have arrived somewhere to be able to share our lives with Jesus and invite people along in. Um, but like Jesus, there comes a time, uh, like Jesus does here, there's a time when we need to fully share who Jesus is and invite people to respond. Um, sometimes we, we have people that have hung around our communities and they were like, I didn't know how to like get on the inside of this because they were never offered an opportunity to like make a decision and count the cost of what it meant to follow Jesus. So as I look at, at this story and as I look at the five thresholds um, that, that I've kind of walked you through, um, I want to give us a couple ways that we can think about responding. Like one, maybe some of us find ourselves in the midst of this story. And I think it can provide some clarity for you as you think about where am I in this journey? Um, what's the next step for me as I, as I try to take steps towards Jesus? Uh, so maybe you need to ask some of your questions. Invite Jesus into a real need in your life. Uh, figure out what it means to follow him and count the cost. For some of the rest of us, maybe 
we need to think about how can I help, how can I play a role in guiding people to it, guiding people to Jesus in their li- in their journey to and with Jesus. Where, for you, as you think, are your community and your friends and the people around you in these five thresholds? Um, it's it's helpful to me because then I can actually walk as a good guide to them if I know where they're at. If they're in a place where they're they're starting to become curious, I can cultivate and help meet them in that curiosity. And sometimes we don't know. We don't know because we've never had those conversations with people at work. We've never had that conversation with our neighbors. Um, and that might be a first step is to have a conversation and ask, hey, what's, what's your spiritual background? Tell me more about that. Um, and I think for some of us, especially that have grown up in the church, um, I, the w- one challenge I might offer to you is the, sto- the part of the story we skipped is the disciples. The disciples went into the town and then they left the town and they went with bread and that was it. And then as the woman goes back to go gather her town that they were just in and that they had missed the opportunity in, and she's about to bring them all back, Jesus is talking with them about bread and having something more to do there. And then he's like, guys, look, the harvest is plentiful. Um, Like, the the fields are ripe for the harvest. The the disciples had missed it because they didn't believe that people were ready to respond. And my challenge for you all is, is... there are more people in your life ready to respond to Jesus and take a step in this journey than you know. Um, sometimes they walk up to our table and say, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Other times um, they're waiting for us um, to show up and, and, and reach out to them. Um, as we join Jesus in this really fun and good mission, um, there's a lot of joy that's available for us. There's joy in seeing our communities and our friends respond to him. There's joy in seeing his power at work in God, in, in, in our, our lives and our friends' lives. And there's joy of knowing the one who is the truth um, and the life. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful that you are a good guide to us that you show up and you meet us in our lives and you offer us living water. And Jesus, I pray um, that as we think about our friends, as we think about our city, as we think about our neighborhoods, that Jesus, you would open our eyes to the ways and the places that are already at work. Give us the opportunity to be humble and generous guides to our friends. And God, would we see you show up? Would we see whole towns and communities and neighborhoods come to know you? Amen.